I am 72 years old. And I have been a Catholic all my life. But until I was 22, I did not understand what happened with Jesus and why salvation was necessary. I have spoken to you many times about how I used to mock uh, when people would say, you know, Jesus loves you. I still remember thinking, that's nice. So what? And when people would say, he died to save you, I would shrug my shoulders and in my head I would think, save me from what? I'm fine. That has led, <clears throat> and I'm not going to go through the story of my own conversion, but it has led me to understand throughout my now 45 years of being a priest that until you understand how deeply in trouble we are, you're not going to get it. I'm going to be using the word rescue instead of the word saved. Because the word saved has been abused and used and misused that we don't get it. So I'm going to be using the word rescue. Normally you don't need to be rescued unless you're in trouble. It doesn't make any sense. And that's why the tw first 21, 22 years of my life, this made, that made no sense to me. Because what we're doing today is recalling the core, the very central core of, of what God did for us. And it's like I said to you, you don't really get it until you understand how deeply in trouble we are. I, I, I look at, I work with many young people and I always remember what it was like for me when I was young. But I remember all those nuns and all those priests and my mom who kept on pounding the message of the gospel and how I kept on making fun of it and how I kept on um, dismissing it. And every day I am thankful I am so thankful that they kept pounding and they kept sharing it with me. Because now that I am old, it has become the greatest treasure that I have ever received. <clears throat> so, I am going to try very hard to say this in as few words as I possibly can. 
I know I just saw some of you smiling going, you can't do it. I'm going to try. You see, the question has to be first. What do you mean, Father, that we're in deep trouble? <clears throat> Until you realize that <clears throat> you and I have been born with an inborn, an inborn desire for perfect love, for perfect truth, for perfect justice. You and I have been born with this desire for the, for, it's, I often do this, I often ask people, I may have asked this with you, how much happiness do you want? Would a day be enough? Would a year be enough? Five? Ten? And when you really think about it, none of, none of that is enough. Ultimately, you and I know that when you get down to it, you want happiness and joy and love that does not end. You want something that does not end. And yet, we have that desire inside of us. But there is no possibility of obtaining it. Okay? Aside from God, there is no possibility of you receiving what you most yearn for. What takes a while to understand, because see, what, what you do when you're young is you project it. I, I heard a psychologist say a term that I've never forgotten. He called, he called it destination addiction. I'd never heard that before. Destination addiction is I will be happy when and then fill in the blank. And so we project all of our desires for happiness. And you say, I can cope now because I know I will be happy when, and you push it into the future. The problem, of course, is that when never comes. Whenever you get whatever you think, whenever time comes, whatever you think, when never comes. And you get there when you thought you were going to be happy, and you go, huh, it must not have been yet. It's further into the future. And when? And when? And ultimately, we are condemned to die looking around us, asking, why the hell did I live? Why the hell? Why? And I'm using the word hell here correctly. Please don't write the bishop, or if you want to, go ahead. It doesn't matter. I'm old enough to where it doesn't matter anymore. Because why the hell are we here? You spend your entire life working, 
and trying to build relationships and trying to, to do everything you can to be happy. And ultimately, it all goes to nothing. I, I always feel like every each one of us is walking around in our own personal Titanic. You know, you're kind of whistling and going, oh, let's continue playing cards and the ship's sinking. But, oh, no, no, no. Let's continue. Let's focus on today. And see, what, what we understand is that something has gone wrong with humanity. This is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Something has deeply gone wrong with creation. Now, we don't know exactly what that is. The church calls it original sin. It's not a sin that you committed. It's a condition that is present because of some historical happening which is lost in ancient history. But it is told to us through the story of Adam and Eve. And through that story, we are told that we are disconnected from the original purpose for our creation. And that the reason that this doesn't make any sense, this life, is because we are participating in a reality that was never meant to be the way it is. That's original sin. Now, when you're baptized, you're cleansed of original sin, but you're not cleansed from the after effects of original sin. It's always, I always like to use the example of a little boy who touches a pan that his mom told him not to touch because he was, she was cooking. And he disobeys her, burns his hand, and goes running to mom and says, Mom, I disobeyed you and I touched the pan and I burnt myself. Please forgive me, I disobeyed you. And the mom says, okay, sweetie, I, diso I, I, I forgive you. And then the little boy looks at her with tears in his eyes and says, but mom, if you, if you forgave me, why does it still hurt? Because you see, the forgiveness does not take away the consequences. We are, all of us who are baptized have been chosen and been forgiven by God. There's no question about that. In baptism, original sin is wiped out, but not the consequences, not the mess that we are in. We are in a mess. And the, the younger you are, the most of young people don't get it. And you, you can't tell them. You couldn't have told me a thousand times, I was told, but you can't tell them. You have to live it. And then once you live it, you begin going, oh my God, that's what they were trying to tell me. And, and thanks be to him who loved us, who loved us enough to say, I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm coming to your rescue. I'm coming to rescue you. Now, at this moment, we could say, well, wait a minute, Father, why couldn't God just have said, okay, okay, let's go, let's do a reset, okay? Poof, you're done. I forgive all of you. Let's start over again. It's not the way it works. There was a great theologian who was executed by the Nazis, um, and uh, 
his his name just flew out of my mind, but he he called he called that kind of an action cheap grace. Cheap grace is when you don't have to take consequences for your actions. And God is not in the business of cheap grace. But he said, I'm not going to leave you there. But you, you humankind have to take responsibility for what you did, but I'm coming to your rescue. And I'm going to become one of you to show you what I had in mind when, when I made you. And so God became human to show us what a normal human being is supposed to look like. And when, what he was basically saying is, if you, why do you think Jesus said, said why, why do you think he said, come to me, all you who find life burdensome. All you who find life burdensome and you're sick of living, come to me. Come to me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He was showing us the way. He said, if you follow me, I will lead you to your original purpose. I will lead you. Do you remember that in the story of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are cast out of paradise. And what Jesus is doing is he is saying, I'm going to show you the way back back to the way it was supposed to be. He is literally reopening the gates of paradise. You realize that's why he said that to the thief, to the good thief? You notice he doesn't say, today you will be with me in heaven. He says, you will be with me in paradise. Because what he's referring to is the reversal, the total reversal of what has gone wrong in human history. But in order to do that, you have to follow him. By the way, the theologian's name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I just remembered it. But you have to follow him. And Jesus was very clear about that. He said, look, I'm here to rescue you. You want me to rescue? Follow me. And if you're going to follow me, that means that you are going to take responsibility for what you did, but I will show you the way out. And that's why he was saying, if you don't want to carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. This is not about cheap grace. This is about following him and being able to arrive at what we were supposed to be like. And so what happens with Jesus is he, he follows that and he knows that the moment he be behaves in the way that he is supposed to, was supposed to be as a human being, because Jesus is the only normal human being. The rest of us, we look at each other and we say, hey, you're normal, I'm normal. Yeah, because we're all screwed up in the same way. And we all are normally screwed up. Jesus is the only normal human being. And if you want what you, are, what you have a yearning for, you're not going to find it anywhere else except following the man who came to rescue us. Why do you think Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it in its fullness? What does that imply? That we don't have it in its fullness. And God 
I can't figure out how to get that more clear than just live your life and see how happy you are and see how just totally happy you are anytime. You're never going to experience the happiness you desire. Good luck. It doesn't exist. You may, you may have moments of fleeting joy or you may, as a good friend of mine, be, be, be what, he's called, what he called a spiritual burglar. I love that concept. You know what a spiritual burglary is? Dope. Dope is chemically inducing into your life what you're lacking in your humanity. But it doesn't last. And so when Jesus began following that, that life, he came in, in straight contradiction with, this, with the powers of the world that had already arranged things in order that humanity continue in its slavery to death. Because that's the way things are arranged. I'm always amazed when Jesus is taken to the top of the mountain and the devil shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says to Jesus, you see all of these kingdoms, including West Chase in Houston, Texas, you see all of these kingdoms? And Satan says, they're mine. You know why they're his? Because they belong to us and we are all screwed up and we need rescue. And so when Jesus goes on, he knows he's about, you know, Jesus knows he's about to go into a crash. Jesus knows. He sets himself up. I often like to think of the crucifixion as a sting operation. I love that image. Jesus, you know what a sting operation with, with, the, with, the, with the cops is? When you put a, when you put a, a little, you know, a, a, what do they call it? A, um, a what? A bait, yeah. You put some bait or a decoy there, and you just wait. That's what the father did. You, you, you realize that? Jesus, at the Last Supper... Hey, listen to the behavior of this guy. He says to the guy who's about to betray, hey, hey, Judas, go do what you're supposed to do. And then he goes, have you ever asked yourself, how did they know where to find Jesus? How did Judas know where to find him? Because he went to the same place they always went. He went to the same place. This guy was not trying to get not found. This guy was setting himself as a decoy and saying, okay, I'm ready. And he asked the father, he says, can, can, can this not happen? And the father said, let it happen. I don't want it to happen, but let it happen so that you can rescue your brothers and sisters. You can show them the way. And there he waits, and he gets arrested, and Satan finally thinks, oh, man, I have him. I've got him. And he, he thinks he's got him. And he crucified, he's just all kinds of, man, if you ever want to read something disgusting, read some real, real descriptions of Roman crucifixion. We, we have pretty crosses. We wear pretty crosses, you know, on our silver and gold. Can you imagine if you walked around like with a guillotine, with a head and a little basket, going, 
ooh, I'm a Christian. Jesus was cut off his, with his head. If in the first few centuries, nobody wore crosses because they were still using crucifixions. And they would see in the, in the horizon, they would see crosses and they would leave the people hanging on the crosses and the skeletons and the, and the birds came and ate the, the bodies and they were all naked and fluid everywhere. It was disgusting. And he allowed himself to go through that just so that he would say, we would say, follow me. And no matter what happens to you, trust me. And sure enough, on the third day, the father said, stand. And the whole point is that he showed us the way. We call it salvation. We call it rescue. So, I'm going to end. You know, turning 70 has really been interesting. I'm 72. Everything hurts. My knees don't work like they used to. I'm fat. Bald. From here on out, it's maintenance. And literally, I think, do you realize, you guys realize I've been in this parish 24 years? And those 24 years went by like that. And when I look at my future, I don't have 24 years. If I make it to my mid-80s, I'll be thankful. But I know how quickly that went. I'm staring at death. I'm staring at death. I'm staring at dying before I receive the happiness I've longed for. But the only reason I don't go crazy is because of my hope in Jesus. That's the only reason I don't go crazy. And so that's why it's so important to me. That's why I'm a priest. I just couldn't figure out anything else to do that had this much value. The, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the only thing that matters. The rest of it, as St. Paul says, might as well count it as garbage. It's nice garbage. You know, Amazon sells all kinds of nice garbage, but it's garbage. So, I don't know where each, each one of you is. Every time I preach, every time anybody preaches, you're talking to a whole group of people. Some of you understand, some of you don't, some of you care, some of you don't. Frankly, I, I can't control any of that. My job is to proclaim it. And uh, I pray that God uses it in some way to get you to understand that you're in a heap of trouble. And if we don't focus our attention on what happens today, we literally are dead meat. So, Christ has died. But thanks be to God, Christ is risen. 
and we have a place with him. The, de the, the, the desires of your heart will not go unfulfilled. That's the good news. Amen.